0: Living Stones is a weekly conversation about living a truly Catholic life. Deacon Harold Burke Sivers and Ken Hellenius help you deepen your relationship with Christ and His Church, discussing practical ways to grow in faith, participate more fully in the liturgy, and practice charity towards all. Hello
1: and welcome to Living Stones. I am your co-host, Deacon Harold Burke Sivers, and I'm joined in our studios in South Bend, Indiana, by my uh, one of my closest friends a uh, a man with uh, a heart of gold and who was the inspiration for John Denver's hit song Rocky Mountain High,
0: Rocky Mountain High.
1: The one and only Ken Hellenius <laughs> again how
0: you doing my friend i am great i have no clue where you come up with these things <laughs> you are a real gem and a and a gift to me definitely <laughs> almost heaven is west virginia i uh, know wait is that the rocky mountain yeah that is right yeah. yeah see i don't yeah. even know how these i don't know they're all they're all i read a fascinating story about the history of john denver though he was a he was a fascinating character he Of course, he died as a uh, experimental pilot in an experimental plane that he built, Um, but that he was the son of an Air Force colonel, I think, who basically instilled in him a love of flight. So, Oh, wonderful. uh, It was a great uh, podcast. It was a podcast by uh, Mike Rau in which he kind of tells these interesting stories, kind of like what was the fellow who did the rest of the story, Paul Harvey? Oh and right. So right. Mike Rowe does this great podcast series in which he tells these interesting stories that kind of lead you along and you're wondering, Oh my gosh, I, I what do I know about this person? Who can it possibly be? And then he reveals the, you know, kind of thing. Oh, it's a fun podcast and, and uh and it's really kind of it teaches you a lot about humankind. And I like it. So uh, I think right. his podcast is called um uh that's the way i heard it i think is what it's called oh the so. way i heard it. okay yeah. and he did this great one cool. about john denver the singer of rocky mountain high and that's of right course all those <laughs> other classics so inspired by
1: one and only ken helena so.
0: <laughs> now now uh what's what's the good word deacon how do you uh get it done day in and day out what's been the What's been the half? Well,
1: the, the the secret is Eucharistic adoration, man. Uh-huh. You know, <laughs> spending time before the Lord, recharging. And uh, you know, some people like to be around other people; they draw energy from. I like drawing energy just by being alone, or even better, in the presence of our Lord. Because it's always better to be in the presence of the person that you love when you're talking to them.
0: Absolutely. And
1: that's the way I see wow.
0: adoration. So you've mentioned this before that when you travel and you do retreats and things like that, that you always make sure uh, to kind of not break your time with the Lord in, in adoration. Tell me that's a bit right. about that because I think that's something that, um, that we all can actually do in our own way.
1: Well, that's the thing. A lot of people, I think in their hearts, they want to, to do more, to, to dedicate their time to God, mm-hmm. um, but they, they, they come up with an excuse, I don't have time, I don't have time. But the reality is, we make time for those things in our life that are important to us. Right. You know, we make we take time for baseball games, we take time for all these other things. But to me, uh, spending that time before the Lord is, uh, is mo- some of the most important time of my week, and I, d- I definitely make priority uh, time for it, Yeah. Um, because it is such a big priority in my life. And um, it's, you know, where I get inspiration It's where I, you know, I write my homilies. It's where, um, you know, I I really feel like I'm the person that God created me to be mostly when, when I'm before him in adoration. Yeah. And that, and that, that kind of drives my whole thing for speaking and, and, and writing. And it's all, it's all driven by that relationship, that intimate personal loving and life giving communion.
0: Yeah. And I know, Uh, the great Saint John Paul II used to write a lot of his especially his great encyclicals, written at a desk in his chapel uh, before the Blessed Sacrament there uh, in the yeah. Apostolic Palace. And, and uh, you know, I had this wonderful weekly tradition when I lived in Portland uh, as a member of the uh, Adoration Society uh, before the Blessed Sacrament at my parish there of Holy Rosary. And that hour on Thursdays was a real highlight uh, of the week. And it was something that, like you say, you know, I look, forward to it because it was time not because i was going to do something but because i was going to be with christ yes exactly we can add this to our to our calendar even just a few minutes you know after mass extended time with the lord focused on him is a marvelous way that begins to change you because you begin to see you know you're in the quiet presence of the lord and it's there where we can hear that still small voice speaking to us and mm-hmm. uh, so what a wonderful gift to uh, to spirituality but even more importantly it's a gift of thanks which is which is what we owe our god yes amen, amen. absolutely Absolutely. Love it. Well, we've been spending some time lately, these past few weeks, kind of exploring the um, teaching and the lives of the Apostolic Fathers, some of the earliest teachers of the church. And last week, for example, we chatted about uh, Irenaeus of Lyon, and um, he wrote this wonderful treatise called Against the Heresies, uh, in which he really began to tackle and respond to one of the earliest great heresies in the church the the great teachings you know teachers who distorted the truth about jesus and about god um and really uh, kind of were trying to tear the church apart by their teaching. And that kind of leads us naturally to something that we're going to chat about for the next few weeks. And we want to chat a little bit more about some of these great early heresies, some of these great early challenges in understanding that actually, ironically, led to a deeper appreciation for Christ and for what he did for us in salvation and for a deeper relationship to for, that we had as the church on even how God is related to God's self, how God is related to himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So we're going to kick off a kind of a little mini series over the next few weeks on the Christological heresies, the, um, the understanding of Jesus Christ and how he is uh, the role he plays in salvation and how he is related to God the Father, how is he related to humankind, to us as well?
1: Yeah, you know, and this is really important because um, a lot of these heresies arose not because they were deliberately, I mean, Gnosticism was one of the exceptions to that, but they weren't deliberately trying to um, divide the church. They were just trying to understand who Christ is. Yeah. You know, they're just trying to understand. Well, wait a minute. He says the father and I are one, but they're not one because he prays to the father. How does that work? But then he says, I can't sing the Holy Spirit because I have to go to my Father, then we can send the Holy Spirit. So what is that relationship like? It's so what are just trying to trying to understand. And we're used right now, we're used to the benefit of having Philosophy and theology kind of married together because right. of Aquinas and all of that. Yeah. But way before Aquinas, mm-hmm. you know, the, 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 the church is just trying to understand, okay, who Jesus is and um, uh, forming creeds, belief statements about what we believe as Christians. What is it that we believe? What are, are the main tenets of our faith? And of course, it's focused and centered on Jesus Christ. Right. The fullness of God's self disclosure, the fullness of his revelation. Mm -hmm. to us so just understanding who God is because he says no one comes to the father except through me so if we understand Christ you have a a better understanding of of God and therefore our relationship of deepening intimacy with God by getting to know who Jesus is.
0: That's uh, so important because this is the self-reflection of the church on the reality of knowing Jesus Christ in the flesh, you know. And this, as you say, this this takes place as the church is reflecting on the words of Christ, and uh, in the, that we have recorded in the Gospels. But then also as we encounter the the preaching of the gospel in the world. And that is through the missionary activity of the church as the church continues to grow, it encounters, remember what we talked about last week a bit with Irenaeus, the very idea of the seeds of the word that are out there. So God's gift of reason to us exists out in the world. And so as uh, preachers and missionaries go out and share the gospel, they are encountering people who themselves have been reflecting on God in partial ways. And so what the missionaries, Christian missionaries do is they say, We want to introduce you to Jesus Christ, the fullness of revelation. And the people who are hearing them preach are going to bring their own ideas to as they're hearing. And so this is the work, this theology, these this reflection that we're talking about in these uh over these next few weeks, are the church helping to weed out the false things that people hear and kind of integrate as they begin to um, become Christian and as they enter into the church.
1: And just a quick footnote here before we dive into the first one, Ken. You know, we spent a lot of time talking about how some of these uh, apostolic fathers talked about tradition and the magisterium, the teaching authority of the church, was handed out from Christ to the apostles and the apostles to those early fathers and from them all the way down 2,000 years to us. And so so that's why we needed a church, because they had these different ideas of who Jesus was. And so instead of getting confused by all these ideas, well, OK, what does the church say? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. So the church was given authority by Christ and protected by the Holy Spirit to be able to teach the truth when it comes to uh, faith and morals. Exactly. You know, so that's how the church is able to speak with authority, given by Christ himself and protected by the Holy Spirit. And so, if anybody goes against that teaching, you know, uh, that's why I say, you know, unless they, uh, as Saint Irenaeus taught, unless they believe what we believe, then they're really not part of who we are. Mm-hmm. You know, they're mm-hmm. not they're not part of the family. So, it, so it's the church that helps us to understand uh, who Christ is and 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 wades through all of the confusion and really gets to the heart of the matter. So that that's why the church is important.
0: Absolutely, you know, and an important thing to remember is that each of these heresies, these errors in teaching about, about Christ and his identity, actually, ironically, it served the church in a useful way because they pushed the church to continue to meditate and reflect and pray about Christ and, and enter into a deeper, richer, um, Well, one friend of mine wrote a deeper, richer penetration of understanding Um, to always be refining our understanding of Christ so that we can express the reality more clearly and um, and really to unpack and illuminate the mysteries of the treasure of Christ's life. And, um, you know, as we say, God can always draw good from evil. You know, we speak about in the, at the um, Easter Vigil, we say that the, the necessary sin of Adam that gained for us so great a Redeemer. You know, it is the, the original sin of Adam that because of that we get Christ the Redeemer. God draws good, very good, greater good from evil. Heresies are, in a way, kind of like that. They are an evil thing, you know, a a false teaching, a misleading teaching that tears at the church, but it's through dealing with them that the church actually is stronger and can articulate the truth more clearly and so uh in a funny kind of way these are a good thing not saying go out and become a heretic folks don't do that (laughs) um we're saying stick strong and we know that we're strong because the church has reflected upon these truths
1: yeah and you know we want to make just a quick distinction between error and heresy so an error is when you teach something falsely but not on purpose so there's a culpability issue here you're just teaching something that you thought was correct but actually, maybe it's not nuanced enough. Maybe you're missing an element, but you're not doing it purposefully. Right. And then once you realize, oh, wait a minute, I mean, okay, okay, now I've got it, you know, that kind of mm-hmm. thing. Whereas heresy, you are deliberately, you're not know, trying to teach falsehood, deliberately excluding certain parts of the faith, um, distorting other parts of the faith, and holding on to your position almost like a dog with a bone mm-hmm. that doesn't want to let go, even in the face of correction. You're holding on to and entrenched in your position um, against the teachings of the church. And that's, you know, I think we made that distinction. We talk about heresies. We're talking about at first, maybe it wasn't deliberate, but even after the correction from the church, they still kind of continued and persisted in their way of thinking. And again, that is arrogance. I know better than the church.
0: Right, right. And formal heresy is actually kind of hard. Because yeah. to be a formal heretic, again, you have to stand pat and and forcefully, even in the face of correction. So you do that, you know, you're getting it from all sides, then you really are a committed heretic. So- don't be a committed heretic, folks. Right. <laughs> That's advice from Deacon Harold and Ken to you.
1: That's right.
0: Well, so some of the early heresies, and we've actually kind of hinted at these uh, over the last few weeks. Again, we we mentioned kind of docetism before, this idea that Christ appeared to be human, but that he wasn't. And so some of the early people who kind of thought this, we, we talked about um, there was a... a kind of a Jewish movement called Ebionism uh that said that Jesus was only an inspired man uh that he actually was not god proper that he was just kind of inspired and so therefore he wasn't fully human see now uh, here's the thinking why would they say that
1: because how could god become a human a human being right i mean a god created everything in the universe Everything that exists, everything that will ever exist, why would he want to unite himself to a creature? Why would he want to lower himself? You know, the catechism calls it divine condescension, Mm -hmm. you know, not a way of, because again, the church had to straighten this out because he didn't lose anything of what he was when he became human. You know, he, it's, you see? And so so some people are struggling with that. How could almighty, ever-living God who inspired the scriptures, how could he? And, and so they're just trying to, no. So he He can't possibly be God. So that's right. what the, the, the dokeo in um, Greek means, to seem or to appear. he only look, it's like an M&M. You know, it's a, it's a shell on the outside, but on the inside he just like really, <laughs> you know, is not really God. And so, so you could see them trying to struggle with this understanding of how God, why would God do that? How could God do that? Right. You know, again, and we 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 take it for granted now, but there was no developed theology back then. Right. And they're still struggling with all of this. And remember, we're we're talking. You know uh twenty thirty years after the death of Christ, and so we're still in the very much in the apostolic era
0: here, you know, and this actual concept that how could the ineffable God the the Almighty Creator descend to creation is actually at the core also of uh, Islam, uh the very mm-hmm. idea that God. That that God is so utterly unlike humankind that there's no way that He could descend to to take flesh mm-hmm. with us, um, and it's certainly understandable the idea, and that's why God that that Jesus Christ is such a singular person unlike any other um, and why um, it is such an incredible gift to us and that we actually have to believe that what he said is true that he did descend from the father because it is so utterly unreasonable to us in a way except because God can do what God wants and that's Mm -hmm. at its core what happens Um, you know these teachings also tend to point to an idea of dualism we talked a bit about this last week as well um, because God who is so um, unlike us would not deign to um, become one of uh, you know to take flesh because implies that flesh is evil it implies that flesh is so much less than God that it is unworthy of God um, and it's interesting because of course we read, the very book of creation in Genesis. And it says that God looked at what he has made had made and said that it is very good, you know? And so we need to affirm by affirming that Jesus Christ was indeed God and not just appearing. We are at the same time, the church is denying that matter is evil. The church is, is actually raising up the dignity of creation. Creation is good enough, and God loves us that much that he came to be one of us. And so this is also a statement of affirmation of the dignity of creation. Creation was broken, creation needed healing, but it was good at its core because God created it good. And God loves us, and so that's something that is um, a critical part of what uh, of how the church and why the church responded so forcefully to these early heresies.
1: No, yeah, absolutely, and it's all about that that deepening intimacy. And it does, I mean, because He gave us His flesh, right? You know, right to, to eat the, the Eucharist. So that also says something about the the body. You know, um, although obviously he's, he, he's, he's under, only under the species of bread and wine. It's, it's fully giving himself to God. But it's, it's God feeding his uh, father, feeding his family, you know, God feeding his family, you know, um, yep. giving us his life, you know, because, uh, you know, death separates us from God's love. And he gave us Christ and the Eucharist to restore and, and sacrament reconciliation to restore us to life. You know, uh, and, and, and just trying to wrap your mind around all you can spend a, a, a lifetime or more just trying to understand <laughs> that, you know, and that's what the, that's what these they were trying to do. Just trying to understand how God could I it mean, in a sense. They're kind of underestimating the power of God's love in a, in a way.
0: Right. Right. How could God love us that much to become one of us? You know, yeah. but that's the point. And, that's the point. Exactly. And not just taking flesh, you know, as we say, in the fullness of time in, 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 judea in you know in the uh at the turn of of time you know 1 bc i guess uh you know whatever year we kind of point that's kind of hard to point to right because it goes from 1 bc to 1 ad uh anyways (laughs) you know i mean he takes flesh in a specific time in a specific place as a jewish man as born as a baby you know fed needed diapers was in swaddling clothes grew and learned and all of this is stuff by the way that we're going to be talking about in the next few weeks as well how in the world could the creator of all things be born as a baby and how could he (laughs) you know uh, learn things Uh, how is it possible that the creator of all God the second person of the blessed trinity actually grew in knowledge as it says in the scriptures how could that be he knows everything right so we're Mm going to get to that um and that's a mind bender as well and we really don't know but um but then also he continues as you you pointed out the eucharist that we receive in the mass every day that eucharist is matter that eucharist is again the church and christ himself saying this is my body saying that flesh and and matter actually is good and and it means something. It's not just an appearance. It is actually body, blood, soul, and divinity our very God present with us even today in our tabernacles and on our altars. That's right. And um, uh, so when we look at these uh,
1: heresies, so that, so Dossett, he only seems or appears uh, uh, to be human, but we know that the Church, um, you know, uh, taught against that—that that he was both human and divine that's right that he was that he was god and man and without any what's called the four negative adverse right without without any confusion change separation or division um uh, so if he uh, he had a uh, had a human nature, it means he had a human also body and soul, which led to other issues, of course. But right. we'll talk about those right. down the road as well. And you know, Saint Ignatius of Antioch and Saint Irenaeus, two people that we've talked about, um, were defenders against the, the the idea of the Gnosticism, the dualism. You know, where the body is bad and spirit is good. And, um, you know, and so they, they taught against that. And, and this heresy is going to
0: come back later, too, by the way.
1: Oh, yeah. You know, what goes around, comes <laughs> that's around. That's right. There are no you new know? ideas oh, under yeah. the sun. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. Well, even t- today, right, the Jesus seminar right. is a perfect example. Of, well, it's not Gnosticism, because you know, Gnosticism ended when Gnosticism ended. But it's it's kind of the same idea of the, uh, of the thinking, that Gnostic kind of thinking. Um, that there's uh, a secret that, teaching. Dualism. Yeah, you know, and that kind yep. of dualistic understanding as, mm-hmm. as well. Um, and we'll talk about Jesus Seminar as well because those guys are nuts. Yes, they are. Um, <laughs> uh, but Jesus in Luke 24 says, See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see. For a spirit has not flesh and bones as you see that I have right you know right uh and so he, he's, he's showing he rose from the dead so that's something that a normal person with a body can't <laughs> do but but he's god and he i mean he still re- retained the marks of his of his suffering of his, of his crucifixion that's to right. show that look see it is me this is not a ghost it's not sp- th- th- right. look at look at the marks and you know um, and give me a piece here, put of your fish. hands in here thomas and feed stick me. your hand in here. yeah all yeah, of these kinds you know? of things yeah, give right? me some fish exactly yeah. You know, um, that says something wonderful about Christ's body um, and also about our, but that again, it's very good. um, And that we should, like like Paul says, "Glorify" in in first Corinthians chapter six, verse 19, glorify God with our bodies. You know, so beautiful.
0: Yeah. So that's kind of the, uh, those ideas of, you know, Gnosticism and Docetism were kind of some of the earliest uh, heresies that got dealt with. Um, mid second or mid third century so those those kind of cover through around 200 again remember Irenaeus of Lyon dies in 202 and he he dealt specifically with uh, with Gnosticism Uh, as we kind of go forward um, there was an idea of what was called adoptionism Uh, Paul of Samosata who was a bishop of Antioch in in uh, 260 AD uh, suggested that um, that uh, Jesus was God only in the sense that God's power rested on him in an extraordinary way so in other words jesus was not truly god he was simply an extraordinary man who was the adopted son of god god chose jesus because he was good and said i'm going to choose you and give you power um making him essentially a little more than a prophet Uh, who managed to be able to raise people from the dead and perform some miracles. And, you know, and that's kind of interesting because some of the prophets in the Old Testament, uh, you know, Elijah raised a child from the dead. Jesus, however, was not just a prophet. He was actually the very son of God. And so this is the church affirmed and kind of, and actually deposed Paul of Samosata and said, uh, you're not teaching correctly and, uh, you're, you're done being bishop because a bishop is supposed to be a true teacher and you ain't it. (laughs) Yeah, Exactly. Exactly. (laughs)
1: Uh, So sometimes you have to even, you know, correct the bishops every now and then, every now and then, a little, no, granted the
0: church did this. It was not just an, you know, not just individuals doing it, but, but the church reached out and, and, and the bishops, his fellow bishops corrected him and said, we we are deposing you.
1: You And we are the ones that are adopted. That's right. Jesus Christ is the only one he could say he's the son of God. That's right. We're sons and daughters by adoption because of what Christ did. And we're brothers and sisters with Christ. We're, we're adopted uh, as sons and daughters. But Jesus himself was God. so
0: And we are grateful but, for it
1: amen <laughs> amen but once again we we've uh, run out of time for this uh for today's show we're gonna we'll pick up the conversation next week but until then Ken how can uh, the Living Stones family stay in contact with us
0: well there are lots of ways you can go to our website livingstonesmedia.org or if you're on Facebook you can just go to Living Stones media type that in and and hit uh, mash that that like and follow button as the kids say and if you're on Twitter you can find us at Catholic stones but uh, Deacon, we're going to gather next week, but until then, might we have a blessing?
1: Sure, man. May God bless you, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.
0: We'll see you next week here on Living Stones.
1: You've been listening to Living Stones with Ken Hellenius and Deacon Harold Burke-Sivers. Living Stones is produced at the studios of Modern Day Radio in Portland, Oregon. For more information about this show, go to moderndayradio.com. That's M-A-T-E-R-D-E-I radio